You know, there's only two things recorded in, in Scripture that Jesus marveled at. And the first one was the unbelief of his countrymen when he went into that synagogue in, in Nazareth. And he marveled, the Bible said, at their unbelief. And the second that he marveled at was that was the faith of a centurion man. And that got me to thinking about the different centurions in the Bible. And I looked into what kind of people uh, centurions were. They had to be at least 30 years old. I didn't know that. By their name, by their definition, they were in charge of at least 100 men. And they had a reputation for harsh punishment. And often they would receive higher wages because of it. Uh, I read, I have this paragraph written down that I read from, I forget how long ago it was written, describing the character of a centurion man. And I'll just read it to you tonight. It says that the centurion in the infantry is chosen for his size and for his strength and his dexterity in throwing his missile weapons and for his skill in the use of his sword and shield. In short, for his expertness in all the exercises. He is to be vigilant, temperate, active, and readier to execute the orders he receives than to talk. He is to be strict in exercising and keeping up proper discipline among his soldiers in obliging them to appear clean and well-dressed and to have their weapons constantly rubbed and bright. And these individuals were, as, is, as was said here, very strict, but in all facets of their life in their obedience, in their diligence to bodily exercise, uh, not just of, of the body, but of the mind as well. They were very impressive people. Yet at the same time, even though they may have had impressive character, they could be very ruthless. And I don't think a centurion would have had a lot of followers on Facebook especially in the nation of Israel. They're occupiers. They are enemies of God's people. And yet in Scripture, we find there, there are many centurions listed. Many of them we don't know much about. But there are three that I believe that we can learn something from here tonight. And if you would, I ask that you take your, your Scripture to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 8. And I want to look at three centurions tonight and their faith. In addition to everything I've used to describe them, they're obviously Roman citizens. They are heathen. They do not believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are soldiers. And if you would, just try to keep that context in your mind as we look at these three individuals. They're all three are centurions, and I find a pattern in each of them. They all had, firstly, unnatural character, and secondly, they had a unique heart. 
They had unnatural character. And they had a unique heart. In other words, everything that I have described to you, everything that was expected of these individuals was completely opposite in their life. And we find our first centurion. I call him the centurion at Capernaum. Uh, The the Lord did uh, much of his ministry here in the city of Capernaum. And in Matthew chapter 8, we're introduced to this man. If you would... Look in verse 5 of chapter 8. The Bible says, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say, To this man go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh. And to my servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. That was that marvel I was talking about earlier. And said to him that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come, from the east and west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Now, if you would, turn over to the Gospel of Luke and chapter 7. We find the companion passage to what we have just read, where we find a few more interesting details about this centurion man and his unnatural character and his unique heart that he has. In Luke chapter 7, uh, it's the same story that's recounted. And if you would look in verse 4. The Bible says, And when they came to Jesus, they besought Him instantly, saying that He was worthy for whom He should do this. The He in this verse 4 is this centurion of Capernaum. And what I find so unnatural about this centurion's character is that he had a respectable reputation. He had a respectable reputation. For someone who is paid to be ruthless and strict and harsh to those even under him um, in his command and authority over him, I find that in, often in those types of individuals, they rarely have reputations that are very respectable. Those kind of qualities in an individual do not lead someone to uh, give them respect. Uh, Normally, we respect those who show compassion, kindness, love, generosity, grace, and mercy. Those are the people who earn our respect and to whom we give it out so freely. But you would not think that a man who is supposed to be harsh and strict in his character would have a reputation 
so respectable, uh, much less of his enemies, of his enemies. And they come to Jesus, that is the Jews, and they said that he was worthy for whom he should do this. In other words, they come to Jesus and they say, Lord, you've done so many miracles in Judea. You've done so many wonderful and mighty works here in the nation of Israel. And if there is any one man to whom a miracle and a wonder should be bestowed, it's this man. This man had a respectable reputation. How unnaturally characteristic of a centurion. If you look in the next verse, in the next verse, in verse 5, why would they assume and deem this man worthy of a miracle of the Lord? The Bible says, verse 5, For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. How strange that an, an enemy occupier, much less a centurion man, would choose not to build a school, a, a community hall, a place of government. But this man chose to build a place of worship for his enemies. How unnatural, how strange that a heathen man would be interested in the religious exercises of the Jewish people. That's very strange to me. And not just that he loved their nation, his own enemies, but that he built them uh, this synagogue. It's just unnatural character for this kind of a man. And if you keep looking at the next verse in verse 6, the Bible says, And when he was now not far from the house, that's Jesus, the centurion sent friends to him. He had many friends. And you know these aren't fake friends because they weren't just around uh, him because he, they could get something out of him. They weren't, uh, they weren't leeches. They were, they were true friends. Why? Because they go to the Savior, they go to the Lord on His behalf. How, and I already mentioned uh, how this kind of a man would not be probably the most popular of individuals, and yet this man had many friends. That tells me that he's also a friendly individual. For does not the Bible say, a man that hath friends must show himself to be friendly, to be friendly. Just unnatural character for a centurion man. But he had a unique heart. He had a unique heart. I see his love, first of all. You would think that such a cruel and harsh and strict soldier would almost be incapable of loving people, uh, except the only thing you would think he would love would be death and war and fighting. But no, this man has a unique love in his heart. He loves those that don't deserve it. He, he, he cares for his servant. 
This man is a man of authority. He tells this man to do this and he does it. He tells this man to go there and he does it. And he has, a, he has authority. What, what value does a servant have to such a man in authority and with power? And yet he has a love for this servant. He has a love for someone who doesn't deserve it. He has a love for someone who is helpless. He has a love for someone who can give him nothing in return. This is a selfless love. Am I reminding you of somebody? This man has a love like the Lord Jesus. A selfless love. A love to people who are beneath him. A love to people who can't give that back in return. This man has a love for his servant. And not just for his servant, but he has it for his enemies as well. We already read that verse. Did not Jesus say, love your enemies? This man has a unique heart. But not only that, he has a a unique love. But in verse 7, he says, Wherefore neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. What an amazing thing. That every person around this man thought that he was worthy of Jesus for him to do something to him. And yet the testimony of this man from his own mouth is that I'm not worthy. I see a unique heart in this man. I see not only a love, but I see humility as well. How, how strange is it? How unique is it for a person with such power and authority to have such great humility? Have you looked in Washington lately? People with power don't have much humility. This man was different. He had an unnatural character. He had a, a unique heart. And that he had humility. It sounds a little bit like Jesus, doesn't it? Not only that, but also in verse 7. I find this very fascinating. In verse 7 he says, Neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word. I find great faith. No wonder Jesus marveled at this man's faith. All he needed was one word to heal his servant that he loved and he cared for. I told the teenagers when I was going through this, if, you, if, if we were like Naaman, all right, and we expected him to do some great things to be, and besought Jesus to do a miracle in our lives, and we wanted him to heal somebody, and even though we had faith that he could do it, most of the time we would want at least... Two words, be healed. (laughs) This man didn't even need two words. He needed one word, and I believe it didn't even matter what word he thought he said. What great faith of a centurion man, a heathen man. He looked at Jesus and he said, just say one word, and I don't even care what it is. And I believe that if you say that word, Everything will happen, just like you said. I believe he'll be healed. I believe it. This man's not even saved. He has such great faith. A natural character and a unique heart. This centurion at Capernaum. But I'd like to go to the second one, the second centurion. If you would go to the Gospel of Mark in chapter 15.
In Mark chapter 15, we find not the centurion at Capernaum, but we find the centurion at the cross. And if you would look at, please, in Mark chapter 15, and verse, well, let's get a little context. Verse 34, please. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by, when they heard it, said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave, it, gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. I find once again, not only an unnatural character and a unique heart in the centurion that was at Capernaum, but I find this, these two characteristics as well in the centurion at the cross. See, what was so unnatural about this, this man's character? I find it very odd that he, the Bible says that he stood by and he watched. He watched. Why is that so strange? A centurion is very familiar with death. What is so unique about an ordinary Jew, seemingly, that's hanging on, a, on another cross? I've seen, I can imagine him saying, I've seen hundreds of people on crosses. I didn't stay to watch them. I've seen, I've seen dozens of unjust trials and unjust executions, and yet I never stayed to observe those. But this was different. This was different. There's something unnatural about a man who sees death everywhere that he goes, and yet he has to stop, and he has to watch this man die. He has to watch this man. And he watches him as he as the earth is wrapped in that darkness and the Bible says that the earth is, is, is quaking and the Bible says that those that stood by were, were filled with great fear. And he's watching all of that. And the darkness lifts and he hears this man say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the centurion watches. And he looks, and he sees this man, the Bible says, give up the ghost. And I find that to be so unnatural for a centurion that he would stand by and he would watch just another seeming criminal, right? In the companion passage to this in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 23 and verse 47 The Bible says that this man confessed and said that certainly this man was a righteous man. I wonder how he came to that conclusion. Maybe by the way this man died. 
Isn't it ironic that this centurion man comes to the same conclusion that Pilate did, that this man was a righteous man and that there was no fault found in him? He watched by and he had to look and watch as this man died. Unnatural character. But not only that, he had a unique heart. What was so unique about this man's heart? Well, he confessed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. That's an amazing statement by a Roman soldier. What an amazing thing. He confessed, truly, this man is the Son of God. All the fake Bibles say that it's a Son of God. This man knew better than all the smart people in the colleges. He said, this man is the Son of God. I'm reminded of Philippians chapter 2, where it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and that every tongue, should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that man did what so many people who know the truth refuse to do. We were out in Ardmore yesterday and we'll be in Athens tomorrow and we'll be preaching to them, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Don't trust in your baptism. Don't trust in your church. Trust in Jesus. Confess that Jesus is the Son of God. And they hear the truth and yet they refuse it. And yet this man who was a heathen, centurion, cruel man came to the realization that this man is the Son of God. What a unique heart. This man got saved. The thief on the cross wasn't the only man that got saved on Calvary. The centurion man received salvation as well. Say, how do you know that? 1 John chapter 4 verse 15. Listen to this church. The Bible says, the Bible says, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that when this man confessed that Jesus was the Son of God, that God came to dwell in him and he began to dwell in God. And you cannot dwell in God if you have not been saved and born again. I'm sorry. And God cannot dwell in you if you have not been saved. This man received salvation. Salvation is that simple. It does not require baptism. It does not require church attendance. It requires confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It's so simple. And this man had a unique heart. His heart got changed that day at Calvary. Not only did he confess Jesus to be the Son of God, but the Bible says, the Bible says that he glorified God. He glorified God. Now, He did that through His confession. We know that from Philippians chapter 2. I've already quoted it. Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He glorified God through His confession. But I believe He did much more than that. I believe He glorified God out of the abundance of His heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the Scripture says that the mouth speaketh. And you cannot glorify God if it's not been placed in your heart. How can you praise God if, it's not, if you don't have any praise down within? And how can you have any praise down within if Jesus isn't living down in there? 
Because if Jesus lives there, it ought to make you want to praise. It ought to make you want to shout. It ought to make you want to exalt the Lord. And this man glorified God. This man probably praised God more than most church members. He had an unnatural character. And he had a unique heart. And then the last one I want to look at, you probably know where I'm going. It's in the book of Acts. In chapter 10. We find not just a natural character and a unique heart in the centurion at Capernaum and the centurion at the cross, but we find the same in the centurion called Cornelius. Acts chapter 10, the Bible says in verse 1, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God, with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Just from those two verses, you can tell that this man, this centurion, has an unnatural character and a unique heart. He's a good man. The Bible says that he's a devout man. He's devoted. The word devout means to be given wholly to, to be dedicated. Uh, to be consecrated, to be committed. That's what devout means. And Cornelius, this centurion, is a devout man, the Bible says. He's a good man, but he still needs God. Good people still need God. Moral people still need God. The best person that you know still needs salvation. Because it it is not our goodness that merits us to go into heaven. It is only the goodness of God by which we can enter into those pearly gates. And good people still need to be saved. And so many people rely on their morality and their good character to put them in good, in good favor with the Lord and that's not good enough. The Bible says all our righteousness are, are as filthy rags. And this man was a good man. He was a better man than most people I know. He's a devout man. He influenced other people to be devout. Look at verse 7. When the angel was speaking to Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier. I wonder where that man learned to be devout. I wonder if it was one of the hundred. I wonder if it was one of the Italian band. Apparently, Cornelius influenced others to be devout as well. But it wasn't good enough at the same time. He's a good man. He's devout. In verse 2, the Bible says, "...in one that feared God." The Bible says that he feared God. He was afraid. Look at verse 4. When he looked on him, he was afraid and said, "...what is it, Lord?" He was afraid. He had the fear of God when he heard the word of the Lord. Oh, how I wish most people that hear the word of the Lord would have the fear of God in them. I wish everybody in Ardmore yesterday that heard the word of the Lord would have the fear of God in them. I wish everybody tomorrow that will hear the truth of the word of God would have the fear of God done in their hearts. The Bible says in these last days that there will be no fear of God before their eyes. But this man was different. He had an unnatural character. It is not natural for a centurion, a hardened soldier to fear. Fear. 
He's supposed to look death in the eye and charge everybody like, he, like he's told to. But no, this man had a fear of God. And it wasn't just him, but the Bible says that his house had a fear of God as well. That tells me that he's a, he's a father that is instilling the fear of God in his children. He is a husband that is ruling his house and commanding them to have a fear of God as well. And showing them that example. Unnatural character, devout man, he feared God. And the Bible says, which gave alms to the people. He's a giving man. How unnatural for a centurion. I would imagine that a lot of centurions in in this day probably abused their power. To extract funds and monies from people which did not belong to him. And to use cruel tactics to oppress people. To expand and increase their own wealth. Not Cornelius. He is not a taker. He is a giver. He's a giver. And the Bible says lastly in verse 2 that he prayed to God always. Not just that he prayed... And not just that he prayed to God, but that he did it always. I find it interesting that that G is capitalized. The Romans had many gods, did they not? Heathen gods. He could have prayed to them, but no. Somehow he knew that he wasn't supposed to be praying to those gods because they didn't have anything. He knew that there was one supremely higher than those that he should be praying to. And the Bible says that he did it all way. Good people pray. But this wasn't a prayer for salvation. He didn't get saved here in verse 2. He gets saved at the end of the chapter. The Bible says that if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. The only prayer that God is interested in from a lost individual is that of salvation. And as good as this man was praying and trying to do his best, it was not enough for salvation But he still had this unnatural character. But he had a unique heart as well, like all the others. I find it unique that he waited on the voice of God. We are so impatient, are we not? We have gotten so accustomed to immediate service and on-demand programming and immediate this and immediate that. And God doesn't work that way. This man waited three days to hear from God. In verse 9, the Bible says, and on the morrow, that's the first day. Verse 23, then... Called he them in and lodged them in on the morrow, Peter. That's the second day. In verse 24, the Bible says, and on the morrow. This man waited three days to hear the message from God. He was patiently waiting on the voice of God. A heathen man. 
Boy, I need, I, need, I need more patience in that area. I do. To not expect God to get on my calendar, but for me to get on God's. And this man had such a unique heart that he had patience for the voice of God. But not only that, Cornelius the centurion was concerned for souls. In verse 24, he prays this prayer. God answers him, hears his prayer as a plea. And then God comes to Peter and he has this vision. And he sends to him uh, these two men from Cornelius to Peter. And then Peter goes. That's why it took three days. And Peter is going to tell Cornelius the centurion about Jesus. And in the meantime, in the meantime, in verse 24, the Bible says, And Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen. That's his family. And near friends. If you look down in verse 27, And as he, that's Peter, talked with him, Cornelius, he went in and found many that were come together. In the meantime, while it's taking God three days to get Peter to Cornelius, Cornelius is actively pursuing souls to hear the word of God. He's going to his family. He's going to his friends. I believe he's going to his neighborhood because, I mean, unless he had a really big family and a lot of friends, but the Bible says there were many that were there to hear Peter. And isn't it amazing that the first Gentile congregation was put together by a lost man? Why? He had a unique heart and that he was concerned for souls. He was concerned for souls. A natural character and a unique heart. This week, you have the opportunity to demonstrate some of these qualities. You have that tomorrow and on Friday. And maybe tonight if you're going to work after this. You have have the opportunity to demonstrate these qualities. Brethren, do not let heathen centurion man have more unnatural character and a unique heart and be more bent toward God than we are who know the truth. We have the opportunity tomorrow to be concerned for souls and pass out those tracts and preach on the street. You have the opportunity on Friday when you get gas to be concerned for souls. You have the opportunity on Saturday at the Elkmont Parade to be concerned for souls. Do not let a heathen man be more concerned for souls than us. God forbid. God help. These centurion men, they all had great faith. Not just the one at Capernaum, but so did the one at the cross. It takes faith to believe on on Jesus Christ. And this man, Cornelius, also had great faith as well. There's some principles here that we can learn from these centurion men and their great faith. And I pray that they would, as heathen people, would not be more spiritual than we who know the Lord.